Hello, and welcome to the Saving Delaware History Podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Messer, and today our guest is Matt Babbitt, the site manager of Abbott's Mill. So I did want to ask you how you got into working with Abbott's Mill. Oh, sure. This is my seventh year as the site manager here at Abbott's. Um, have worked in the outdoor education field uh, for over 15 years now, surprisingly. Um, and uh, before coming to Abbott's was um, in DC working for an environmental nonprofit. And before that had worked for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation uh, at one of their residential um, island programs as well. Um, uh, I think I f- originally found the job posting through uh, an outdoor job listserv um, and ended up getting lucky and getting the job. And here I am. How many years have you been there? At Abbott's, this is um, year seven. So seven years in, can you kind of describe the scene and describe the site for us? Abbott's represents a unique partnership between uh, Delaware Nature Society, which is a statewide nonprofit organization that I work for. Uh, We kind of operate and manage the site and um, all of our facilities are owned by the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs through the state of Delaware. And then the majority of our lands are owned by the Division of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, We as a nonprofit own some of the lands um, all in all, there are four properties here um, uh, that total just over 513 acres. Um, and uh, there's the kind of the Abbott's proper site with our historic buildings in the mill. Uh, and that's about 90 acres. A half mile to the west, we have our Blair's Pond 5K Trail, which is about 230 acres uh, and has uh, a forested 5K trail around the pond that is public access. A half mile to the south, we have our Isaac's Green Preserve, which is about 62 acres. And that is a forested wetland and a stream corridor nestled between two farms that also shares land with a Delaware tax ditch, um, which is a uh, kind of maintained irrigation ditch to provide uh, drainage for surrounding farms. Uh, and then out 20 minute drive to the east in Slaughter Beach, we have a 110 acre salt, uh, marble salt marsh preserve. And recently the scenic byway boardwalk that was opened up in 2019. Uh, and the, the Isaac's Green Preserve is, is a private preserve. We'll, we'll lead trips there, but it's not open to the public. All the other locations are. Um, uh, we are open, our trails are open every day, dawn to dusk, we're pet friendly. And, um, This partnership has existed since 1981, so we're actually celebrating 40 years this year, um, albeit under a a different circumstance with with COVID and everything. Uh, But we have, uh, you know, our our bread and butter historically has been um, school and and group programming. Uh, We serve about seven to 8,000 school students a year uh, and have for past five years worked from directly with our hometown Milford School District uh, to provide hands-on programming for all of their pre-K through fifth grade students. Um, And then we also offered seasonal programs and events for families or adults or kids, um, everything from, um, you know, uh, canoeing trips um, to we've done, you know, birding programs, um, both like bird watching and um, 
um, bird, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking, banding. Uh, we, we have a, a ornithologist on staff, so he's able to kind of capture the birds safely and band them and everybody gets to see them up close and then release them. Um, we've, we've worked with some, some other partners to try to do some more creative programming with, with arts involved um, or things like that. We've, we've hosted some wreath making inside the mill uh, in, in the wintertime with a local artist here. Um, and uh, we'll are, are partnering this spring with the uh, Milford Parks and Rec Department to offer a uh, family and, and adult canoe series exploring the Mispillion River watershed, uh, which is um, kind of the watershed that is centered around uh, the town of Milford. We're about four miles outside of Milford and our pond, Abbott's Pond, and then Blair's Pond both serve as kind of the headwaters of the Mispillion River. Um, there's five mill ponds in, in Milford and they all feed down into the Mispillion River, which runs right through downtown and goes all the way out to Slaughter Beach to empty into the Delaware Bay. Uh, and it also serves as the county boundary between Kent and Sussex County. Uh, so we'll be exploring all of those areas this spring, uh, which should be pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And then we also adapted to uh, have a, a family outdoor science series this spring, uh, trying to provide families who are, who are ho homebound with their students uh, a way to still get outside and explore um, some science curriculum. Do you have any programming that works with the actual grist mill itself and that production? Oh yeah, um, so the, the grist mill runs. We can turn it on and you can see all the belts, you know, and stuff move, but we don't produce any grain. Um, it would it would take another million dollars probably to, <laughs> or more to, to get it up to speed for, for that. Um, but we do offer monthly public mill tours uh, every third Saturday, March through November. And people can also reach out to us to schedule a private mill tour as, as well. Um, and then, like I said, you know, we kind of started um, messing around with, with more private events inside the mill, um, like the, the uh, wreath making over the holiday season, um, and also have, have incorporated uh, some programming for students, kind of focused on the simple in, in engineering inside the mill, um, a mill and machines, program and uh, another one for a different age group called Wayne at the mill. Um, so that's there. It's, it's a little tricky sometimes because there's no, there's no heat in there. Um, so, you know, we're kind of limited to, to what's there, but yeah, the, it, it gets quite a bit. Uh, we had probably averaged about a hundred people every year through just the public mill tours coming in. Wow. Is the Wayne, uh, you said it was weighing at the mill. Is that the same program that used to go on at Cooch Diet Mills? Yes. Yeah. So um, we, we, for a while, were, um, I, when I say we, I mean uh, Delaware Nature Society. Uh, we were um, also contracting with the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs to, to operate programs at, at Cooch Diet. Uh, it would have been a very similar program to the one we offer at Abbott's Mill. And actually, the in, in both mills, there is a kind of scaled down model of the um, mill itself that uh, is kind of like a like a mouse trap thing um, that will uh, that kind of lets people see the whole mill op operation uh, step by step because um, uh, otherwise the I mean the mill itself is four stories tall so it's pretty hard to get a concept of, of the whole thing. Is the whole thing open for tours and open to the public? 
Um, yes and no. The, uh, we aren't allowed to take public visitors up to the top two floors, if only because there is no um, exterior fire escape. Um, but the, the bottom two floors, which uh, are kind of the main operations and where a lot of the moving machinery is, are, are open to the public uh, for tours. Uh, who actually built the mill, the physical building that houses the mill? Yeah, uh, well, the, the mill was originally built in 1795 by Nathan Willey. Uh, it burned down in the early 1800s, was rebuilt, and I believe had 15 or 16 different owners throughout its lifetime. Uh, and some of the owners kind of made a, a, additions to it or changed some things. Um, Ainsworth Abbott, who is, is, the, is the namesake here, was the last owner of the mill from 1919 to 1963. Um, he, he made several additions to the mill and really saw kind of a lot of the mill, mill technology change during his ownership. So he was able to kind of update that. Um, he added a whole wing onto the mill to uh, add a set of roller mills to it, which is uh, which was the newest mill technology, going from the big giant grist stones mm. to these little boxes of um, of roller mills that um, you know the box is maybe about the size of a of your desk table and has. Um, two kind of rolling pins on either side and a, and a wall down the middle and it actually serves as two mills itself. Um, so it was an update in technology, but also in space um, so that they could fit a lot more operations into a tighter area. Whereas on the other side of the mill, there are just two giant stones that are probably each the size of your dining room table. What, what happened after they installed the rolling mills? It allowed them to uh, kind of separate production. The, the big stone mills were kept for processing corn, and then the roller mills were used for more of the smaller grains like barley, wheat, rye, buckwheat. Um, we've been told that Ainsworth Abbott was best known for his uh, cornmeal and his buckwheat flour. I mean, he would produce all of them and ship them um, all the way from Dover to Georgetown, which today is a 30 minute drive in either direction for us. Uh, but back then it would have been horse and buggy and that would have been his only employee. Um, he also brought on the in, in introduction of the Oliver Evans elevator system to the mill. Uh, Oliver Evans is a Delawarean uh, and a famous American inventor, probably most famous for inventing the steam engine but also invented this elevator system, which is very much like a chutes and ladders um, type of automation that allowed the mill to be run by one person and have uh, belts and, and um, little tin cups and, uh, and elevators kind of carry everything between the different floors from the kind of holding box down to the mill to get ground back you know down and then up to another holding box and then out to the flower packer um, before he would have probably had to employ a you know four or five people to carry in buckets between each thing and each floor um, and the the elevator system was so popular and so um, revolutionary I guess that actually George Washington and Thomas Jefferson 
hired Oliver Evans to um, build one for their mills out in Virginia as well. So it really was a game changer, um, uh, you know, very much to, to modern production lines today. That's really cool. Were uh, any other technological advances brought into the mill after that? I'm not exactly clear on the date of when the, the elevator system was uh, installed, but the other big technology change for the mill was a switch from a water wheel to a water turbine. Um, uh, from what we can tell, there was a huge hurricane and flood in 1933, the uh, Potomac-Chesapeake hurricane. Uh, it was actually so strong and so much flooding that it created what is today the Ocean City Inlet. It blew through the, the barrier um, island there. And uh, we have some pictures showing just a complete blowout here of the pond and the dam and everything being flooded out. So we're pretty sure at that time, um, Ainsworth switched from the big water wheel uh, to a water turbine, which is... Um, uh, essentially, there's a big room on the side of the mill that we will flood. And at the bottom, it's about eight feet deep. Uh, and at the bottom of it is this big metal cylinder that uh, we there is a wheel that you can turn to kind of open side doors on this metal cylinder. And inside of it is a big fan that then connects via a gear shaft um, up to more gears that then run the whole horizontal of the mill and connect to the belts and the different machinery um, that is that runs the machine. So it was um, a lot less upkeep. You know, the water wheels are, are huge and big and expensive to buy or even repair. Um, the, and, you know, if, and if you get a blowout like that flood, then you kind of have to do it all over again. With the water turbine, it was much more efficient um, and, and e e easier to maintain and keep up. So those are three pretty major upgrades. Um, Ainsworth Abbott also brought in a 1919 Fairbanks Morse light diesel engine. Uh, hmm. It is probably, probably the size of like a good sedan car that sits in the middle uh, or in, in, in the basement. Um, it's what some old timers call a one lunger engine. It just has one revolution, so it's kind of just like chugging and, mm -hmm. and you know, moves that low speed as opposed to, you know, like a car engines that have a V6 or V8 or V12, just that mm -hmm. one cylinder. Um, it was brought in as a backup, kind of like an insurance policy in case, a, you know, a flood ever happened and he couldn't use the pond and the dam to run the mill. He could turn, he could run everything with this engine. Um, we don't have any record of him having to use it, but, uh, you know, insurance is always great, um, especially when you need it. Uh, it might be expensive <laughs> when you don't, but it's it's a good thing to have. Um, but we had some volunteers here who actually restored the mill a few, or the, um, the engine a few years ago. And so we turned it on and let it run during all the public tours. Um, so those... Those four things, the, the, the engine, the roller mills, the uh, elevator system, and the water turbine were big additions that Ainsworth made. At what point did the mill actually stop producing flour of any kind? Uh, um, in 1963, Ainsworth's wife, I believe, passed away 
either earlier that year or in 62. Um, and he was running the mill without electricity uh, up until then. Um, and I think was advancing in age. So in 63, he sold the mill to the Killens family uh, of Killens Pond fame here in, in Delaware. Um, and they held it for about a year maybe, and then quickly turned around and sold it to uh, the Fish and Game Commission, which today is the Department of Fish and Wildlife within the state. Um, it looks like they kind of sold it in parts. There were the mill buildings, uh, the original eight acre parcel of land here, and then the pond itself. Um, and the, it, it, they, I don't think anybody ever took it, you know, took it back. It kind of sat unused um, from that 60, you know, the mid 60s. And then in the mid 70s, Fish and Wildlife kind of turned control over to Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs. Um, and then in 81, Delaware Nature Society was brought in to start kind of running public programming and have it, you know, more operate as a nature center. Um, uh, so that, that, you know, that's the last time we have record of, of the mill actually producing flour. Uh, but I do know that the Abbott's Mill is the only mill, historic mill in Delaware that still operates. Uh, there are a few still standing, but ours is the only one that you can still turn on and see everything move. Mm -hmm. Do you think it'll ever get to the point where it's producing again, just for like tourists sake? Oh, uh, you know, it would be great to see it. Um, in the late 90s and early 2000s, I believe there, there was kind of a joint effort between Delaware Nature Society and the state um, to seek some state and federal and local funding to do a big overhaul to get it back into restoration and to operating speed. Um, it would take that level of effort again to um, bring it up to production speed, um, uh, not just cleaning it out and restoring everything, but uh, you know, I'm sure uh, food production health code standards are yeah are, are quite more stringent than when this thing last ran, ran in the '60s. Um, it certainly would be great uh, to to see and to you know I mean I know um, Y Mills over in in Maryland, which is about an hour west of here, is still in production. Um, uh, you know, some sometimes we have um, uh, my predecessor. The, the site manager before me um, saw had worked with um, Dogfish Head here in, in Rehoboth um, to uh, they ran some grain through the mill as part of a, a small batch of um, it was the Delaware native ale so they tried to use ingredients all native to Delaware to make um, make that and so they ran the grain through the mill to kind of help tell the story uh, of everything cool. um, so you know there's been little things like that but but um, uh, I, there aren't any current in in the works plans to get it into production but it's certainly a long-term goal we have on the big Our bulletin dream. board yeah <laughs> all right well that kind of covers everything that I know about Abbott's Mill right now is there anything you wanted to add just that we are excited to be a part of the community here um, you know, we, we saw a 220% a increase in trail foot traffic uh, oh, wow. when COVID hit here. Mm -hmm. 
So it is great to know that that we are viewed as a as a resource and an outlet and a um, you know a place to gather at, um, for the local community here. Uh, we're excited for some spring programming that we know we can run safely um, in our summer camps as well. Uh, we we ran th three weeks of camp last year and we'll be uh, running six weeks this summer, um, and then have some. Uh, some things in, in the works too, to celebrate our 40th anniversary. We'll be doing a spring native plant sale in May. Uh, all the sales will be online, but then we'll have a, a big um, plant pickup day in, in, in mid-May. Uh, we'll also be hosting a kind of a, uh, a day to celebrate our members uh, in June with some free, free programming as well and are trying to work on a way to have a celebratory meal or picnic with the community here. So yeah, we're, we're here, we're open. Uh, we are happy to um, serve the community. Wonderful. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast today.